You did it again, Bill. It's just I know the old version so well, you know. Well, we all do. That's why we're making the new version. Right, okay, let's go. I feel it in my fingers. In my fingers. I feel it in my toes. Feel it in my toes. Yeah. Love is all Welcome, everybody, to a very special holiday episode of NBA's Unplugged. We're going to be talking about Love Actually, the smash hit Golden Globe nominated film about awkwardly hitting on your secretary and or housekeeper. All right. We have several guests tonight who love but eh, understand the flaws in this movie. Uh, like the characters in the movie. We, we love it despite its flaws. Uh, we have Lexi Greenberg, we have Francesca Saunders, and we have Christopher Lord with us. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for being on. What's up? Thanks for having us. Thanks. So why don't each of you sort of give me and the audience a sense of your relationship to this movie? When you remember first seeing it, is this a rewatch every holidays for you? Let's go start with Francesca. Yeah, so I can't remember the first time I saw this, but I do have a very distinct memory of it being like one of the first like adult quote unquote um, films that my parents would like let me watch with them. Like it was definitely something that my mom forced my dad to watch. And like, I must have stayed up late when I was like 11 or something and like watched with them. And my mom and I have watched it every single holiday season together since. It's like our tradition. Um, we're Jewish, but this is like our favorite Christmas movie, quote unquote. And we like call it like our Christmas movie thing. So yeah, that's my relationship with it. Lexi, how about you? Um, yeah, I think I also watched it. I'm also Jewish, fun fact, but <laughs> we watched it when I was like maybe 11 or 12. I think my dad showed it to me. Um, and then I feel like I've like tried to help people discover it because there's a lot of people that have never seen this movie. So I'll always be like, how have you not seen this movie? Like we have to oh. watch it. I know. And I end up watching it like, I don't know, at least every other year, every other holiday season as a result. I've seen it at least like 30 or 40 times. I feel like at this point. Uh, it's interesting you say that. I was surprised by how hard it was. I would reach out to individual people to see if they wanted to be on this episode. And it was people that I was sure, oh, this is a Love Actually person. And then they're like, yeah, I've, I've never seen that movie. I'm 23 cool. years old. I've never seen this movie. I have no John, idea what, what is a Love Actually person to Yeah, you. I was going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> I wanna, let's, let's unpack that. <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard to describe, but it's the kind of person that you're like, this person likes rom-coms. <laughs> okay. This person likes rom-coms. because this little is, reductive, but okay. Well, Apparently, my guesses were wrong, so it is reductive. A lot of these people are like, I have no idea what this is. I've never seen this movie. Um, Christopher. Okay, so I do remember the first time I watched the film. I was living in Spain, and one thing I distinctly, well, I think I was probably like 13 years old, I want to say. One thing I distinctly remember about the first time I watched it is obviously that there's that scene when I forget her name is having... Um, the Italian man from the workplace over at her apartment. 
And I just remember at a really young age being really attracted to the Italian man when he takes off his shirt. So that is my first like vivid memory and encounter with the film. In terms of my relationship with it, I kind of like Lexi, Lexi, probably watch it like every other year, do really love it. I watched it yesterday as homework for this podcast and was crying at the end, which I think goes to show where, I, where I'm at in life, but still think it's an amazing rom-com. It is a tearjerker. I have gotten a little misty many a time watching this movie. Oh, yeah. Well, I think there's something really like universal about it, even though, you know, recognize it can be problematic, recognize it can be cheesy. Like there is something incredibly universal and human to relate to for like anyone. Um, And I I was talking with my mom about it today um, and she like got choked up. She always talks about the airport scene at the end. I don't know if we'll talk about that later, but she was saying it's like this big grand moment that captures like all of like love and how it's not perfect and how it can be hard. And she's like crying at the pasta restaurant this afternoon. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that sums it up. (laughs) It's so true. It's really universal. I feel like it's also like one of those rom-coms that like has something for everyone Mm -hmm. because there's more character tropes than there are in a lot of rom-coms. Like there's like, there's more than just like the girl meets guy. Like there's all these different types of characters and stuff. So I kind of feel like everyone can kind of relate to it more than other rom-coms. That is, that is certainly one of the things that stands out about this movie is that you cannot name who the main character of this movie is. Did this film not sort of set precedent for those types of films? Were there many films that kind of had so many different storylines coming together in this kind of way before Love Actually? Or am I like correct in thinking it was kind of the first one before like the, uh, like- New Year's Eve, Valentine's Day. And Valentine's Day, Day. yeah, yeah it's gonna like, be. This kind of set the stage for that, or am I wrong in, in that assumption? I think that's right. I think th- I think this was the first one to do it and then it was successful and then people tried to repeat the trope with different holidays. And the nice thing about that, right, is you can basically say this movie is Love Actually, but it's at Valentine's Day. This is Love Actually, but it's at New Year's, but you don't have to actually own the IP. You can just cast 50 semi-famous and famous people and have them fall in love in 12 total minutes of screen time and you have a movie and you expect people to go see it. Um, But this was a very sort of groundbreaking movie. And so this is sort of for people who maybe are listening, but they haven't really seen the movie or they've only seen it once or twice or maybe not that recently. The quick rundown is 2003, this movie came out, made $246 million worldwide, which was a lot of money back at the time on a budget of 45 million. Directed by Richard Curtis, who is the uh, screenwriter for Four Weddings and a Funeral and Notting Hill. So he was a rom-com legend who made a bunch of very successful rom-coms based in England. And he has this very strange idea to make this rom-com that's 14 movies and it's all like 110 minutes and we're just gonna blitz through all of these different storylines with all of these different characters and cast every famous person in England basically in this movie. And so this movie has, the, the cast is incredible. You look at the cast of this, it's Emma Thompson, Alan Rickman, Liam Neeson, Hugh Grant, Colin Firth, Kira Knightley, Laura Linney, Chiwetel Ejiofor before he was famous, Andrew Lincoln, Rick Grimes from The Walking Dead, Bill Nighy, Billy Bob, Billy Bob Thornton is in this movie, Elisha Cuthbert, January Jones, Shannon Elizabeth, Denise oh. Richards, Claudia Schiffer for 37 seconds, and Rowan Atkinson, Mr. Bean. 
that's not even everybody. I just stopped writing down names at a certain point. It's unbelievable how many people they got to be in this movie. And I think that it's like, I've seen so many, again, of these like ensemble ones after that have just sucked and you kind of lose a little bit of respect for the actor, the big name. But I feel like this movie, because it was so well received, like put people in the place where they're like, oh, you know what? It's it's cool as a big slub to say yes to a big ensemble because I do actually think that there are a lot, like a lot of very quality moments. And this was this was like the first ensemble that was like, quality level for all of them I feel like it didn't dilute any of their star power if If you look at some of the other ones like Valentine's Day or like those other movies like I just feel like there's so many there's only like one or two that are like as quality as like every single story in this movie are like yeah okay there's like moments in this movie where like Rowan Rowan Atkinson's is like hilarious but it's like it's 30 seconds it's not that long and like it probably didn't take him much time but like still it's like it's fun. It's like comic relief. And like, I feel like they do more justice to the celebrities in this one than in other ones, like you said. For sure. And every, every role is like a star role if it were its own movie. You could make a movie out of almost any of these plot lines. And somehow all of them each get 12 to 15 minutes and they make it work in 12 to 15 minutes, which is one of the reasons why I love this movie is the filmmaking skill, which I want to talk about later, is off the charts. And this is the first movie that Richard Curtis had directed. He had written those other movies, but this is the first movie he had directed. And the filmmaking skill, to me, makes this movie work when it should not work. A movie with 27 main characters should not work. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you guys seen Four Weddings and a Funeral in Notting Hill? Do you have sort of takes about those movies as well? Like Notting Hill has survived better than Four Weddings. I, I agree with that statement, but I, I've only seen Notting Hill once and it was so long ago. I do actually have the movie on iTunes. I should, I should rewatch it. I think I will after, after this podcast, no doubt, because I'm just curious. I saw it again recently. Um, I just, with all of those movies, first, and this is, I lumped this in with Love Actually, my mom like loves Hugh Grant. So my dad always goes, Hugh Grant in this movie. Like anytime he's like the quintessential, like older middle-aged woman, male heartthrob. Um, and my dad was always like jokingly jealous. And so I feel like like movies like Notting Hill love actually like any from that time just have such a like place. Mm-hmm. Um, Four Weddings and a Funeral, I saw, but I don't remember. And I saw the TV show re- more recently that's actually really good but I know that that's a total aside so I won't take us down that path yeah I don't think I've seen either one from what I remember I've seen them both Four Weddings is a truly bewildering film (laughs) it's like an actually insane movie it's it's not as perspective. the things that happen in that movie I mean I don't want to go off on a huge tangent but one of the things about this movie is the love actually is the whole movie takes place in six weeks. If you actually stop, you're like, Oh, this, they tell you at the beginning, this is six weeks before Christmas. And then it goes up to Christmas. So the whole movie takes place in six weeks. All these people are meeting and falling in love in six weeks. Four weddings does a similar thing. I think the whole movie is 13 months and it's not just, there are four weddings. There are multiple couples that meet and marry during the 14 months. One of the couples meets, marries, and divorces in the 13 months. Like Andy McDowell sleeps with Hugh Grant after the first wedding, 
then meets and marries a Scottish lord, then divorces the Scottish lord and shows up to Hugh Grant's other wedding at the end of the movie and steals him away from the altar. It's, it's a crazy, it's a crazy movie. Um, oh, Big Mac has something to say? Just, I'm trying to um, keep his participation minimal because I don't think that his takes on this movie are as good as he thinks that they are, but that's okay. just the, the background yeah. noise. I'm, I'm interested in what Mac has to say. I don't think we should silence Big Mac. I think he should be as much part of the podcast as we can. It's too bad it's not a visual medium. That is true. That is true. Well, you can hear his shrieking anytime you want. Um, honestly, he likes movies in general because it's uh, snuggle time on the couch. So he's a uh, fan overall. I get that. The other crazy thing about Four Weddings is that there is a sequence where Andy McDowell, after having slept with Hugh Grant and is now marrying the Scottish Lord, takes Hugh Grant to watch her try on wedding dresses to marry another guy. And it's like, what is happening? This is crazy. What are you thinking? Anyway, that's a whole other thing. All right. The plot of this movie, to the extent that it can be described, this movie follows several couples and not quite couples. We'll talk about that. Who are loosely connected, sometimes by family relationships and sometimes by professional connections as they stumble toward love uh, over Christmas time in England. So we've sort of touched on it a little bit. Why is it that we love this movie? Because it has flaws that we will talk about. It's a universal story, but the experience of watching the movie itself, what about watching the movie sort of pulls you in? Chris, you were talking about the soundtrack before we uh, recorded. Yeah, I mean, when I was able to watch it again after all these years, I was just thinking that throughout the entire time I was watching yesterday, I was like, this soundtrack is so good. Um, I mean, it starts off obviously so strongly with with the Beatles. Um, and I just think it, it continues on from there. Um, I, I think what pulls me in, and Lexi sort of spoke to this earlier, is there's just so many different storylines all of which encompass all of these different archetypes of characters and like I think like even as one person we've all kind of fit those roles at different times in different ways and all of the characters are so redeeming so they draw you in and again there's kind of something you can probably identify with each one of them and then I'm a little bit of a, a sucker for you know the the dramatic and perfect ending and I think the film definitely has a lot of that and I think they do a good job of building the tension and all of a sudden transitioning in the last 20 minutes just all these things coming together so nicely such a beautiful you know romantic kind of way and I, I really appreciate that I actually disagree Chris oh, I don't think I'll but like I don't agree that all of the characters are redeeming but I think that's what makes it likable is that I don't like things that are too saccharine, sweet, like perfect. And there's enough like, it, it's, it's why I like the show Girls, which I actually think is kind of a, a more modern day crass version of love actually in a lot of ways, which is that like, there's a lot of flaws and they're not afraid to address those. And yet people still find love or like, enjoyment or whatever they're looking for and I just I like how like it goes there sometimes yeah. um that's like so it's like not everyone's redeemable but like people mm -hmm. get it, it's it just feels a little bit more realistic from a like life perspective I also think and this is again to Lexi's point before about the like something for everyone when I was really little I was obsessed with Sam and Joanna um, for those who haven't seen it, it's like this 11-year-old kid um, falls in love with this girl from his class. And at the end, they have this big, sweet musical number where he's like 
he thinks it's unrequited and it's not unrequited. And as a little kid, I so related to that. Um, and then I remember the first year that my parents didn't make me leave the room when the there's a scene where there are two people who are stand, like stand-ins in a movie and they're standing in for a sex scene. So they're just like fake simulating sex naked while they're doing the lighting. And I remember for years, my parents would make me leave and I didn't understand. And then they let me come in. And, you know, as I became, obviously that, you know, really that relates to my life more now, obviously being a sex standard. No, I mean, just that like, <laughs> there are more adult scenes now that make a lot more that are a lot more resonant for me than Sam and Joanna when I was little. And I like that there is so much juxtaposition in a single film that actually like an 11 year old could like just focus on that one thing and be happy. And then a 28 year old can focus on all the other stories, not just that one and be, um, have it be relevant in that way too. Another Another Sorry, famous person, another famous person who I didn't even mention, Martin Freeman, I realized when I rewatched it, is the sex stand-in, the male sex stand-in, who is now the CIA guy in all of the Marvel movies. And the Hobbit. That's right. That's right. That was the dawn of the age of Martin Freeman. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So we, you mentioned a little bit the flawed versus maybe not flawed, redeemable versus not redeemable characters. All right. So I want to get into it here. Let's let's have it out. I want to ask everybody's favorite couple in this movie. And oh. before, before you give me your answer, I want to actually run down for the audience so we can really drive home how totally bananas this entire film is. These are the actual couples in the movie in a one-sentence description. There is Colin Firth, who only speaks English, and his housekeeper, who only speaks Portuguese. That is a couple in this movie. They get married. Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman, a married couple where the husband is thinking about cheating with his secretary. Hugh Grant, who is the prime minister of the United Kingdom and the girl who brings him tea. (laughs) These are the actual couples in this movie. A classic all-time beloved rom-com. Bill Nighy, an aging musician, and his manager, Joe, who he keeps calling fat. Laura... Laura Linney and a hot guy from her workplace, played by Xerxes from 300, by the way. Did not realize that until I checked the credits on, uh, on Wikipedia. Oh, that's fun. Colin, a nerdy English guy, and four girls from Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> These are the actual couples. These are the actual couples in the movie. We're gonna have, everybody's going to have to pick one. Liam Neeson and his wife, who is dead. <laughs> Liam Neeson's son and a girl he has apparently never spoken to, two sex scene stand-ins, and not a couple alert, Andrew Lincoln as a man in love with Kira Knightley, who is married to his best friend. These are the actual couples in the movie, an all-time holiday classic about the truth of love and romance. All right, who are our picks? Mine, mine is like a really hot take because I feel like normally a lot of people would Bring just say it. like, you know, Hugh Grant or something. That one's easy. But like, I really like Colin. There we go. <laughs> Colin and his four Wisconsin girls. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Colin because he's not your normal rom-com character. Like he basically shows up to this bar in America and he's like, okay, I'm going to meet girls. And like, literally I have no plan and I'm just going to like find somewhere to stay and figure it out. And it's in an, every other movie, it like would not work out. And it would be like, Colin is like the loser here. And in this movie, he like starts, like he goes home with like these four women and like, that's the implication. And it's very, 
I don't know. It's just charming and funny. And it's like the, you know, the other, the other couples can be a little just like sweet or kind of gross for me. Like the whole like language one, like oh. Colin Firth and his housekeeper, like, yeah, that's cute. The first couple of times you see the movie, but after a while you're like, all right, I get it. Like she speaks Portuguese, he speaks English, you know, like, I feel like this one is more like, oh my God, what was it? It's like, what were they thinking when they made this? Like, he's so funny. I don't know. I love it. I think it's a great pick. I think it's an unconventional pick. I love that you're going to bat for Colin and that you love his character. What what is, what is Colin's character? Like what is his Colin actual is, character? Colin is he's basically this English nerd. Like he's a loser kind of. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to like so you have to say what he says. What is what does he say? I'm not remembering like the when he's like I am Colin, god of sex. And it's like the most cringy thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Okay, that, you gotta like, remember I didn't rewatch it. I didn't rewatch it yesterday. So like, gross. <laughs> remember his plan, I think, worth pointing out is that he thinks he's gonna be able to get all these women simply because he's British. Just because he has the accent. Yeah. And it's hilarious because they're like, oh my God, he's so hot with his accent. Yeah. It's the best part. Like they but all like, think he's aren't just, we, like, the like, best. I like I you know, I think I've fallen victim to that at, at, at times in my life before as well. So I I I get where you know that thematical stems from i will admit well here's the question is colin wrong is he wrong that i can go to wisconsin and just all of a sudden i go from a london seven to a wisconsin 10 well you have to have the british accent john yeah john you don't have the british accent it's not gonna work for you well (laughs) this is true i'm not talking about me i'm just saying is colin's theory a good theory as a british person i i think there's something there Yes. It makes him cuter for sure. Definitely. But I think you have to like have some confidence behind it too. Yeah. I don't, I don't disagree that like accents part in a lot of other things. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds like an unfinished thought. No, I'm just like, I think back on like my like college self in particular and like the way that, you know, especially like when we were studying abroad, just like we're like oh my god all these like cute boys with accents and it's like were they really cute or did they just speak differently and we've been conditioned <laughs> to believe that like that is cute I don't know like I, I actually would be like horrified to look back at like what who I was actually talking about at that time when I was like 19 and was like British accents OMG like you know yeah just a little cringe well it seems to work on Taylor Swift yeah long line Mm -hmm. of long line of british guys as i keep the streak alive of taylor swift being mentioned on this podcast four episodes in a row now good um let's go wait who's your favorite character or sorry romance couple um i really do have to say sam and joanna the little kids and again it's just it's such a like factor of when I started watching this I'd say um and every year that I watch it now this is actually so embarrassing wow I'm glad that I started this every year I see this little kid he's like 11 and I'm like oh my god he has like the most perfect little precious perfect face and I google to see if he got hot as an adult and every year it's like hard to find him I always am also looking up Joanna like whatever happened to her like not it's always disappointing I'm like I should just let them live in this like tiny little adorable child fantasy Um, And I think the best part for me and why I love it is the musical number where Joanna at their, their, they have a little Christmas pageant at their school. It's kind of the culmination of the whole movie. And Joanna is a singer. Um, And I always like look up, I'm like, is she like 
low-key famous singer whatever and she sings the vocals are so good she's amazing real and she sings like um all i want for christmas is you right what is it she's mariah carey she's better than mariah carey yeah 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 and i like that's like that to me like represents christmas that's my favorite song like i just love it and so that's why i love them but i get it's like that's so fucking cheesy um and like Oh, I don't know if I can say that word on this podcast, but that's okay. <laughs> go for it. We mark all the episodes with the little E. Just go Love for it. it. Love it. Um, is that the greatest performance in the history of middle school plays? One of them, no question. Undoubt, no doubt, yeah. Except Definitely. for whatever Chris did in middle school, because I feel like you low-key are a singer. Low-key, for sure. Um, uh, you're, you're a favorite couple, Christopher. Oh, it's, it's so funny, Lexi, because when you initially said Colin, my mind immediately went to Colin Firth and I was like, yes. And then you immediately, I like, but I would never say. Then I trashed him. Yeah. Then I was like, yeah, no, my wife's favorite. Oh, okay, wait, maybe I shouldn't like, because that's, look, here's, here's the reality. I'm definitely a sucker for, you know, these like fairy tale type romances. So honestly, like the first two that came to mind were Colin Firth and, you know, his Portuguese housekeeper. And then I think I also though would end up with like Francesca. I was obsessed with um, Joanna and his name is Sam, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Joanna and Sam. And I have a really great fun fact for you, Chance Francesca about Sam. And I don't know how I ended up here as a kid, but I was watching the movie one time and there are these incredible deleted scenes. One of which includes Sam, who was a gymnast. This is back when I was doing gymnastics as a kid, doing wow. a different scene through the airport where as opposed to just that one jump, he does a full flown gymnastics with team doing like bars and shit all the way through the airport. And it is insane. You have to watch it. It is unbelievable. Okay. So I'm so glad I didn't know this because I was also a child gymnast and that would have like actually my little tiny heart could not have handled it. Like, well, I have such an amazing gift for you later. You have to do that (laughs) if you have that ability. Um, Anyway, so that would be the other one. Then also like something else I'd have to point out. No, this isn't like a romantic relationship, but I think also one of the most beautiful relationships is Sam's relationship with his dad and like dealing with grief and coming together over Sam and Joanna. Like that just carries that one over the edge for me. Like that is just, they're they're such a cute relationship and seeing them grow is, is, is quite beautiful to me. I love this pick. I love that pick, the Sam and his dad, because, you know, the dad gets, this is probably like not a serious thing. This is just first girl he had a crush on, but the way he's so in on it and so encouraging, knowing that there's no stakes, just let him go for it and have fun. That one insignificant detail about the drums. Yeah. This is his stepdad, right? Like it wasn't like that's part of the reason it's a little bit awkward. Like that's so, I think that's such a cool way to like try to bond with this kid that like now, like where's, you know, his mom is gone. Like that's a really cool way to try to get him to like embrace you as a father, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think my pick is the sex scene (laughs) stand-ins. I think it's great. I think that they are great. I think that their incredible awkwardness in trying to translate anything that's happening on the set to something that's off the set is kind of real and kind of endearing. And my runner-up is probably Bill Nighy and his manager because friendship is love. Mm -hmm. Friendship is love. And when he goes to the manager's apartment at the end, you know, it's, it gets me every time. It gets me every time because we've all had 
people that we were friends with that meant so much to us and we don't place friendship on the same level as romantic love sometimes and this movie does it puts that on the same level which is where it belongs so i think think those are my picks and also to that end i think that we can't not mention laura linney's character and her brother oh yes who she for for the listeners at home um she has a, a brother who is not well mentally and she takes care of him um and he's kind of violent with her and potentially kind of, you know, nonverbal. And the like tenderness and love that she shows him is actually like genuinely heartbreaking and, and the way that she prioritizes him over her own romantic opportunities. And so that's also another really beautiful form of love. I think that we get to see um, addition, in addition to romantic love. Absolutely. Definitely. Totally agree. I actually have that under... Um, best scenes when we get to uh we're going to talk about what we think the best scenes are but when she goes back to her apartment with uh and we, we can we can do this scene now uh when she brings rodrigo santoro is the actor's name back to her place and then they don't get to sleep together because she keeps getting a call from the brother and goes to the hospital and it's just like so heartbreaking but so real because there are people like that who give up so much to take care of a family member. And these are the things that they're missing out on. And it's very, very sad. Um, But before we get to best scenes, we've talked about the best couples. Let's talk about maybe the other side of the coin and talk about the most cringe parts of this movie. So I have a couple of things in this movie that are definitely cringe. And there are many people who have made the point that there's a lot of cringe in this movie. We were talking in the pre-show a little bit before we started recording about the fat shaming in this movie, which has definitely not aged well. Um, Billy repeatedly calls his manager fat when they're going to take Colin Firth to Aurelia at the restaurant. Aurelia's dad calls Aurelia's sister Miss Dunkin' Donuts 2003. Probably not a thing you should be saying to your daughter. Um or about anyone, just unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, very famously, one of the other staffers in the prime minister's office says that Natalie is, quote, chubby, quote, sizable ass, quote, huge thighs. All probably not things we should be saying about our coworkers or really anybody. Um, this is definitely, this is definitely a 2003 movie in its sensibility about these things. It's one of the things that has not aged well. Um, I also have, before I move on, does anybody have anything to say about the fat shaming part, which is definitely comes up over and over again in this movie and it's not great. Well, I must think also one scene that we're not talking about where it was also really bad is at the end, there's a scene, like I think it's part of the airport scene when Natalie sees Hugh Jackman for the first time in a while um, and jumps into his arms and he's like makes cracks some joke about her weighing a lot and this is supposed to be the person that she's in love with and she talked about her boyfriend calling her fast which is like such a weird thing to all of a sudden take in like light humor I was like what yeah you know and that was and I I, it's funny because I didn't know like this was something that was controversial but I was thinking this a lot yesterday I was watching I was like wow this is just all the time it's They're really mean to natalie they beat up on her a lot in <laughs> this movie she's gorgeous so I, I don't i never really understood it when i was a kid i was like okay maybe she doesn't have the same body type as like here Knightley, but like you know yeah. she's really pretty like i don't understand why this is necessary but um i think the movie like i still think it like there's some movies that like 
they don't survive past, you know, 2003 because they get so bad with this stuff. And this, you know, I still think the movie has enough like good qualities and things to kind of overcome some of these really cringy scenes, hopefully. Um, but yeah, they, they stand out a lot more now, like rewatching it like yeah. a year or two ago than they did when I was like a kid. Well, I also think it's just like, it equates being thin with deserving love. Like that's like very clearly the message. And it is interesting. I think just like when all these think pieces started coming out about it, just like not even recognizing it until it was pointed out, which just to me was like so shocking to think about like how much of our own conditioning was like of that time. And we like, we grew up like when Kira Knightley and like the whole like heroin chic thin, like low rise jeans, like twig thing was the aesthetic. And it's definitely just given me pause so much of like, in terms of just like trying to think through some of that conditioning myself and like why I didn't even see it um, versus like, and it's again, it's such a factor of the time. And it just makes me think back on like, what else were we fed that has, you know, put these ideas into our mind and made it so acceptable. Oh, so much. I could get yeah. us a different, yeah, that we could really. Yeah, get. yeah, no, I mean, yeah. We, but I, yeah, it's just, it, it's just like, I agree with Lexi, like it has redeeming qualities that I think it will live on, but it's just so interesting to think like what, what didn't, what wasn't like this at the time and what makes something like worthy of still being, like having staying power. Yeah. Well, on that point, the next thing that I have under most cringe is the extent to which a lot of the depictions of love are incredibly superficial. Mm-hmm. And they really just boil down to, some of these characters literally have never spoken to each other for more than a few sentences. And they're supposedly in love. And one of them we're gonna talk about more when we get to the most famous scene in this movie, which is the cue card scene. But one of those pairings is Kira Knightley and Andrew Lincoln. and. During rewatch, I zeroed in on this. I'm going to play this clip and we'll see if this works. By the way, we opened the show with Billy Mack missing like four takes in a row of his song. And we opened this podcast by me screwing up the audio four different times. So let's see if this actually plays. (laughs) But this is right after Kira Knightley has gone to Andrew Lincoln's apartment. She's looking for the wedding video that he shot and she watches the video. All the shots are of her. The video is now over and she realizes oh, he's actually obsessed with me. So let's see if this audio actually plays. You never talk to me. You always talk to Peter. You don't like me. I hope it's useful. Don't show it around too much. Needs a bit of editing look i've got to get to a lunch early lunch you can just show yourself out don't you it's a self-preservation thing you see you never talk to me you only talk to peter He's in love with her. Okay. He doesn't talk well, to her. But like, okay, I think the closest subtext of this is that like, maybe he never talks to her in group settings, but they could have known each other for like years, right? And like, maybe he kind of avoids her or something, but like there could have been like years and years of like unrequited love behind this that we just haven't seen, right? Oh, I think there obviously was. Like they're getting yeah. at this point and this is, you know, his, they're giving, like his best friend is the person that 
she's marrying. So I think they definitely knew each other for a while and, and he got to observe her. And I think like, I think you can love someone from afar like that. And, and I think something that he addresses when he does display the cards or whatever is he he talks and, and he says it that just then is self-preservation, right? So this is all kind of his weird, maybe not the best way of like dealing with what he knows and has to be, right? Like unrequited love. Well, but at the beginning, at the beginning of this scene, right, she comes over and brings pie Mm -hmm. as like a peace offering and hopes that they can be friends, which implied to me that they really did not know each other until she met his best friend and then they started dating. Yeah, but they're not just, they've been dating for a long time because they're getting married. They're getting married. Yeah, they I think that married. she knew him married. before. Yeah, I think she knew him before. And yeah. it's it's like he's like the self-preservation thing. Like he's trying to distance himself from her when they are in settings with the with his best friend there because he's like, I'm so in love with you. I can't even talk yeah. to you, right? Which yeah. like, I mean, I mean, I get she looks like, it. oh, I was just dropping the bomb too. Go um, for it. Oh, drops. drop it. <laughs> Your nightly, you know, looks really great in that film. She, she really <laughs> looks beautiful. She she takes my breath away too. You know, like I, I get it. Like I could see someone just falling head over heels in love with someone who is just seems so wonderful. And yeah, I get it. Well, I like I I mean, John. Like my read was similar to Chris's and Lexi's that like this had been going on for a while and that he had stopped talking to her because you know, out of self-preservation, but I also think it doesn't really matter, ultimately. I agree, it would be weird if he's just, like, in love with her based on, like, how she looks or whatever, but that being said, like, I think that the idea of unrequited love and, like, especially the, like, unspoken part of it, like, when you're just so in your own head, you've built up this whole thing, like, that to me is, like, the crux of it, and in the cards, I mean, that scene is iconic, it's been recreated everywhere, but there's a point that he actually says, like, enough's enough. And I actually, I've thought, of, like, there is something to be said for, like, actually releasing, whether it's a harmless, cr- harmless crush that you built up in your head or, like, a real, like, maybe he really did love her. But, like, like there is something to be said for just being, like, okay, enough's enough. I said my piece. And you can actually let it go. And I, I just, like, I still... I know that feeling like and that, that that moment to me is so crucial and important and like really real it doesn't really matter how like real his love was it was real in his head like and that was the thing when I was saying earlier there's like moments that are I, I think identifiable for mo- identifiable and relatable for most people I think that's a good example of one it's not like I've ever found myself in a situation where I'm necessarily again like revealing cards in this dramatic way like in the film but like just having built up like this, this character, this like, you know, sexual tension with someone I don't really know or knew in like school or something like that. Like, I think that's something that we've all sort of dealt with in some capacity, right? I did not expect a full court press pro Andrew Lincoln podcast. <laughs> no, I'm not pro it. I think that, that like that whole situation, I think it's like good for entertainment purposes, but it doesn't really connect with any of the other parts of the films in the way that a lot of the other ones do to me. Yeah, um, I would say in defense of my superficiality point, it's not just the Andrew Lincoln piece. It's also um, the fact that Sam has basically never talked to Joanna. He thinks that she doesn't know his name, but he's in love with her, which, okay, fine. It's, it's kid love. That's fine. Yeah. That's how it works. That's great. 
But you go through the list and again and again, it's like there's very minimal interaction beyond, oh, this person is very attractive to me. Colin Firth mm-hmm. doesn't speak the same language as his housekeeper, but then he sees her jump into the water and he's like, oh, she's got a lower back tattoo. This is, this is great. I'm going to marry the Portuguese housekeeper. This is great. Um, there's a lot of... Okay, wait, wait, wait. Looks, I, I feel like that's one. Love. That's one of them. And same with like Sam and Joanna. But like, there's a lot that are like, what about this couple that's like in the middle of an affair, right? Or like, okay, Hugh Grant and his coworker, which is super realistic. Like that happens all the time. Or like, like some of these things are things that like they are implying that have like gone on long before the movie started. I feel like, um, like a couple of them or like, yeah, um, Colin, like, showed up in Wisconsin and I feel like those ones are a little more of like the comic relief ones but some of the more meaty ones are ones that are like they imply that they've had more interaction than I totally agree that Colin Firth is that one's pretty because <laughs> yeah they don't speak the same language and they she clearly starts working for him right at the start of the movie but there's a few that like maybe they've been married or maybe they've been co-workers or whatever and those ones are like okay and like Laura Linney she said three years at one point that she'd been staring at him right like there's a yeah. couple that are like they've had a long background before this but that, in, in John, in support of you, and this is this might be a this is an unbaked um, idea, so bear with me. But it could be said that like there aren't a lot of women who talk in the movie, like in a in depth way, and the ones who do, who you like really get to know, um, they are unhappily or uncoupled. Like you think about Emma Thompson's character, whose mm-hmm. husband is considering cheating on her. She's probably the most like multi-dimensional woman in the movie and it's like oh she's like the boring middle-aged woman who he's tired of because she has needs and like he's like okay I'm gonna go with the hot younger one and then Laura uh, is it Laura Linney the one with the brother like you know she is also a pretty multi-dimensional character and ultimately she doesn't get her hot guy because she has to take care of her brother emotionally so like maybe there's something to be said for for like (laughs) that I don't know if fully I, I'd have to do a full analysis but you're making me think <laughs> no I, I I think you're absolutely I think that's 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 fair I think I mean listen a lot of these relationships are of course superficial I would make that case for like a lot of rom-coms and I think listen I think we can make a lot of like different points about the director and general direction clearly of this film just being questionable in a lot of ways you know and I it's interesting like this is the first time I've even been thinking about this when it comes to this film but I think it's like a, a very worthwhile and, and obvious discussion to, to, to have you know and this is why we love this movie is because yeah. pretty much all of these couples there's both sides of the equation there's this stuff that is real and relatable and deep and has a lot to say and then there's stuff that is like eh, what are we doing here what's what's yeah. going on um all right, we touched on it. Let's just do it. The cue card scene. What are what are our thoughts on the cue card scene? Christopher, I'm cold calling you about the cue cards. Well, I, I liked how, I, I really liked what Francesca said, I think. I think, like, again, there's there's components of it, not to that extent, obviously, that I think are relatable for most people. Like, really thinking about someone, maybe not being able to, like, kind of, you know, deal with your emotions in the best way. I like that for this person, you know, there was this cathartic release and I released and I thought that there, it was kind of an unusual and, and kind of just real take on like what love can be. It can be really complicated and it can involve people that you know closely that maybe you shouldn't have feelings for. 
And I thought the way that it sort of ended on this, you know, we're going to continue to coexist, like, and just be practical, like that just shows again, like the, the real side that, that, that love and, and these kinds of feelings can have. So I, I, I liked it in that way. I thought it was funny too. I was laughing yesterday. <laughs> the whole movie is extremely funny. Like, yeah. It's, it's a genuinely funny movie, which is one of the reasons why we love rewatching it again and again. Speaking of rewatching, all right, let's do what we think the best scene are. I've got a couple nominees, but I'm interested in people, if, if folks have other nominees that they want to throw out. Um, Billy Mack's interview with the radio host. <laughs> I'm going to play this clip. I forgot how good this was. Um, here's one. How do you think the new record compares to your old classic stuff? Oh, come on, Mikey. You know as well as I do, the record's crap. <laughs> But wouldn't it be great if number one this Christmas wasn't some smug teenager, but an old ex-heroin addict searching for a comeback at any price? All those young popsters come Christmas Day, they'll be stretched out naked with a cute bird balancing on their balls. And I'll be stuck in some dingy flat with my manager, Joe, ugliest man in the world. Fucking miserable because our fucking gamble didn't pay off. Um... I love that scene. The whole scene, he's just completely unspooled and completely going for it. And for me, Bill Nye, he is the MVP of this movie. Um, next nominee, the Prime Minister dancing, which is always a classic. And he gets caught by his secretary. Um, Mary, I've been thinking. <laughs> Move the Japanese ambassador to four o'clock tomorrow. Certainly, sir. Terrific. Thanks so much. Um, my next nominee is the proposal. And this, this, this touches on one of the issues in finding clips for this movie is it's so visual that the best scenes, so many of them have no dialogue except for the score. And this one has dialogue, but it's all in Portuguese. So we're going to listen to a scene that's in Portuguese for a minute. But it's Christmas, and I just wanted to check. What a romantic way to ask. Thank you. That will be nice. Yes, this being my answer. <laughs> Easy question. Um, and my last nominee is the airport run. Speaking of scenes that have no dialogue, this is where I always get misty every single time because the music swells and Sam is running through the airport and then he finally gets to the gate and he gets to talk to Joanna. Um, and I think that's, oh, and the Laura Linney goes home with Rodrigo Santoro and they get interrupted, interrupted by the brother. Those are, those are my nominees. Do people have other nominees they think is, is a good pick for something that really stays with you and is one of the best scenes in this movie, a movie full of great scenes. Yeah, I have multiple others. Chris, go, go ahead. Go for it. You want to say something? 
Yeah, I mean, the first one I I would have to call out is, and then we talked about this earlier, is the musical number. <laughs> I think yes. that is so great. I think, again, this young girl's vocals are out of this world. And it's really cute to see her looking over at Sam. And this is also like one of those coming together moments of the film where all the storylines really do blend and there's the, you know, all these things happening and it's, it's, there's a lot of emotion. Um, I will think of others, but I'll give the floor to, to Francesca. What were you thinking? Well, yeah, I was going to add that musical number. And the, the important part there is that she, at the first time she says, all I want for Christmas is you, she turns and she looks at him because he's on stage playing the drums. And he learned to play the drums for her. And it's like, you see like his face like lights up and then she turns around and the song keeps going and you and you and you and she's pointing out at the audience and his face like falls and it's just so cute and funny um I think like the most one of the most iconic scenes of the movie is that it both starts and ends at the arrivals um terminal of Heathrow and there there's this whole bit about you know how you see the full spectrum of humans emotions of people reuniting or saying goodbye at the airport which I think is really kind of sweet and tender and indicative of all of this um and I also, there is one other one um, that is escaping me right now. So I'll give it to Lexi, but then I'll, um, if, I come, if I remember it, I'll bring it back. Um, yeah, I have a really particular one. Then I actually have to hop a little early. I have a family dinner I have to get to. But um, mine is actually the scene where they have the um, security guards, like the prime minister security guards. And they're like trying to find the right house to find Natalie and like, the security guard starts, they all start caroling and one of the security guards just starts, he comes out with this like deep baritone. I think he's seeing King King Wenseless, is that it? And it's just so like unexpected and Hugh Grant turns him and is just like, what was that? (laughs) And like, and then you see just like these little, like they're, they're knocking on doors and they're finding all these random houses. And like, you just see these little kids that they found at one house, just like dancing and it's super cute. And they just keep caroling. And I just like love that scene because I feel like their actual re- like their actual time of uniting, it's really sweet, but I, I just think their journey to find her is like my favorite part. So it's a really good one. Mm. Um, I'm gonna jump off, but thank you so much for having me, John. Um, this has been really fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the family dinner. It is the holidays. This is in the spirit of love, actually. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Now that she's off, I can criticize her favorite scene. He's the prime, <laughs> he's the prime minister. He doesn't have somebody who can get the former employee's address? What are we doing here? We're just going to wander around London? The, the dodgy part, as they say, and the whatever, like the, the bad part of the street. Yeah. I love that. But they, they just keep calling it the dodgy part. I do, I do love that aside. I do think it's hilarious when the security guard just comes in with this incredible opera voice when he joins in the song. I thought that was amusing for sure. Yeah. Great one. And I mean, the music in general is just really good. I was um, mm-hmm. also thinking about the, oh, okay. These were the, the wedding scene, the wedding between Keira Knightley and the guy when um, they have the, the friend who's in love with her set up like uh, basically a flash mob of a really beautiful band in the middle of the ceremony. I thought that was really great. And then during Liam Neeson's wife's funeral, um, when he's like, this is how she wanted to go out and they play... What is that song? Uh, Bay City Rollers. Uh, they play something about Bay City Rollers, and it's like very tragic. The music is just incredible. I think those all of the music scenes are amazing. I'm just looking at it now. There are so many good ones. I, oh, I love like the. Also, like I think for any 
90s person, like the Dido song, just like going back to <laughs> like, you know, we all like any 90s person again had their Dido moment, I would argue. And I just think that 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 is one of the that's when I just hit me. I was like, oh yes, like this brings me back to that that time, which I think is special for a lot of us. When Andrew Lincoln walks out of the room and Kira Knightley is wearing that hat that was very popular for about eight minutes in the early 2000s and the Dido song plays, that is definitely a time machine sequence right there. Yeah. 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 Um, but I think you're right. I think the music is so important to this. This movie is almost a musical. The music is so integral to everything that's happening and everything that you're feeling, whether it's the pop songs or the score. You throw in the setting, England at Christmas. It's such a romantic setting. These Beach Boys. It's just, it's, yeah, it's unbelievable. It's the music budget on this thing must have been $9 million just to get yeah. the rights to the songs that they're playing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then the pacing and editing where you're not really allowed. You're, you're in this romantic place with this music playing. It's, it's playing every trope that's in the deck and then they pace it and edit it so you don't really get to stop and ask any questions. You're just swept up in it. It's just such skillful filmmaking. Mm-hmm. The filmmaking and the craftsmanship for a first time director just gets me every time I watch this. As I watch this movie again and again, it's, God, you're so good at this. The yeah. first time to put this together in a way that just pulls the audience in mm-hmm. right away. So they don't ask the unanswerable questions that we're about to go through. Um, <laughs> oh, I, so- I yeah, that, that still bugs me when I watched it. When I, when I watch it, I just think to myself, I'm like, but what happens next? Like, <laughs> I can't believe you're leaving us with all these cliffhangers, but. Um, so best scene, do people have, any other nominees for best scene? And do people have a pick that is like, this is, I think the best, because for me, it's the airport run. The airport run is always where I get a little misty. Hmm. Call me basic, but it is the cue cards for me personally. (laughs) (laughs) It lasts for a reason. It is incredibly well staged. It is incredibly unique. No one's ever done that particular thing in a movie before, and it's very memorable. I I almost would stand, like, I think the concert for me was my favorite when I was younger because, I, like Francesca pointed out earlier, I think when I first watched it, I was more of that age, so it felt a little bit more relatable and I also loved singing and I just was so taken back by Joanna on the stage and that is again I think a, a, a really beautiful moment um in a lot of ways during the movie but it for me it would be be that or probably with you John I think the the airport scene because I just was a sucker for Sam clearly yeah and his dad all right unanswerable questions um so this is a a category i've stolen from a movie podcast that i listen to called the rewatchables they watch a movie and then they talk about it and they come up with sort of nitpicky unanswerable questions and there are many unanswerable questions um from this movie so here's question one joanna goes back to america at the end of the movie unanswerable question does sam ever see joanna again what do you mean She's going back to the United States, right? Yeah, but she comes back at the end after they say goodbye. Oh, so it's answerable. Never mind. It's answered. It's answered. It's answered. Oh, right at the at the airport, like a year yeah. later. Yeah, like at okay. the very very end of the film. It's like a quick greeting. 
but they get to see each other again. And then that's when but you we see- don't know why we don't know why. And we know that he doesn't kiss her. And Claudia Schiffer says he played it cool. And that's when you know that they end up together too. Yeah. Um, all right. Next question. Are Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson still married? Okay, wait. I think that maybe this version that I've been watching on iTunes has like an extended scene or something, or some of these questions are answered for for me, well, no, 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 Chris. It, it this is in the regular movie. Yes, they at the at the hall, like at the airport at the very end. She he does come back, and she's there with the kids. Yeah, but the look on her face is like meh. Yeah, yeah. And so the thing is, that. you don't you don't know if like yeah, yeah. You know, they have kids together. It could be that right. she's just bringing the kids to greet him. Yeah, I have no idea, and I think this is like the shitty part for me. Like my feeling is that like she stayed and like because that was portrayed as like the noble thing to do for the kids and she just like had to live with the misery that's Mm -hmm. how it like felt to me and I always but I'm always like I was I'm always disappointed by that scene and I'm always hoping that it means that she's just bringing the kids because they have shared custody but I don't feel like that's what it is yeah I take it the way you do Francesca that this is sort of this is still hanging over us Final resolution unclear. Yeah. But definitely we're not over you trying to hook up with your secretary. And exactly. And I think that's the other thing worth noting, at least it's not like, I mean, she says it, like she catches him sort of prematurely. So she's like, what do I do in the situation? Because yeah. like you've now made a fool. Of, like she, meant, she says that line about like oh. make a lot of her yeah. as well. And it's like heartbreaking. It's so it's so sad and you see her just like break down in in that room and then come back and like try to pull it all together and like again it's 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 really sad but I think she's it just shows that she's sort of still trying to figure it I think it to me like there was like almost a part of me that like hoped she was gonna find the courage like figured out she's needed some time to kind of collect herself um and by when I say figure I mean like leave him honestly but yeah um it's yeah it's a good question I think that's another nominee that we missed for best scene where she says that line. Cause that is so impactful oh. and so painful. And I think their story is the most, it's the deepest story in the movie. And mm-hmm. that's, that's the most cutting scene in the movie. And I just love that actor and that actress so much. They are both so good. She is so good. And he is so good in his like embarrassed, I'm caught and I don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, speaking they, they, of, they do. Very speaking of, next unanswerable question: Is Alan Rickman the greatest Christmas movie villain of all time? Between this and Die Hard, <laughs> incredible question. And he is, if you want to call Snape a villain, which I was he almost say- is. All the Harry Potter movies had Christmas releases. Complete no. I well, this is the funny thing: is I hated him when I was younger watching this because for a lot of this we had not reached the end of Harry Potter so I only knew him as like bad yeah and so I just like I don't know if any of my vitriol is as justified (laughs) as it actually is because it like as a kid it just bled together as like he is snake he's evil he's wronging Emma Thompson fuck this dude 
couldn't agree more with exactly what Francesca is saying. Those were my exact sentiments when I was younger. And also as a kid, I just kind of hated when I would see actors play different roles, especially ones with strong associations like Snape. But um, yeah, he's definitely, I was, I was going to say like villain. Snape, Snape definitely is redeeming at the end, but I would say has some pretty horrible qualities despite having his redeeming qualities at the end of all of that. But that's also another tangent. Like I mean, all of the Alan Rickman Christmas villains, Snape has redeeming qualities. Hans Gruber is good with money. He understands at least how to earn interest. Um, all right. Next unanswerable question. How many feet did the court order tell Andrew Lincoln to stay away from Kira Knightley? <laughs> Wait, what? No, he's... he's um, I'm I'm making it, like, yeah. Um, I was like... It's, did you have another extended scene that I didn't know about? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, they end on like good terms. Like they're mature yeah. as they yeah. can be about it. They even like, you know, acknowledge like a degree of feelings. Like I think it's a pretty pragmatic way of approaching what, what you know, can just be a, a real life situation. In some yeah. way. Okay, but I will say as an adult now watching this, I think it's really fucking weird that he wouldn't like bring it up with the friend or like I mean I guess there's like insinuation that she'll potentially I guess tell her now husband but like I'm like I don't know it felt a little like still immature and dealing with it and I'm like these are married adults like perhaps you could have an adult conversation and John to, to your credit in, in asking the question like the film and keeping that and just keeping that to himself and like the scene with her just like slowly like licking her finger kind of thing like that that is I would I would say very creepy behavior and unusual and and not okay right but um, well no. that's another unanswerable question is why did he edit their movie film like that to just be of her right. like he definitely has footage that isn't her of the wedding perhaps he just shouldn't have edited an entire video just of her yeah. maybe that's like what was the goal with that <laughs> yeah related unanswerable question which is worse that he just only took footage of her or that he actually edited for himself akira knightley only reel of her wedding video like the latter because he again there's additional efforts yeah. being put on to making it something that he can absorb in in, in some un, un you know and all of it's zoomed in which makes me think that it what he had footage of both of them and then he just zoomed in for this edit, which is super weird. Yeah, now I'm just like, oh, I regret that my cue card yeah. scene was the best scene. I'm like, is this dude actually just a huge creep? And again, was <laughs> I just conditioned to think that that was like cute okay. and sweet? Redeeming, oh God. Hence the, uh, hence the court order question. Um, yes. All right, next unanswerable question. Although I think we know the answer to this one. Does Colin Firth ever learn Portuguese? Or does Aurelia just give up and learn English? I think this is an English only household. I think we're giving up on Colin's Portuguese. But at the end, I would make the case that his Portuguese was actually better than her English. All right. All right. Like he was, he, you know, he, he got through a lot of actually impressive vocabulary because I had subtitles on when I was watching yesterday. And I was like, okay, like these are not, you know, basic words at all or basic phrases or easy phrases to necessarily know. Um, but I don't know. It's a good question. I need to just throw out here that this, that whole trope had a significant amount of import in my household because 
my mom grew up in Portugal and speaks Portuguese and she and my dad used to live in France and speak French and this takes place in the south of France with this Portuguese speaking housekeeper and that scene both my parents would get so excited because at some points they're speaking French during the scene and they're speaking Portuguese and it was this whole big thing and everyone was like this is our story because it's all about our family history um so again super biased and now I'm looking back and I'm like this is so weird and creepy but you know here we are all right next unanswerable question <laughs> that's a good story though every but see everybody's got these personal connections yeah um all right next unanswerable question does the house of commons have the no confidence vote to remove hugh grant as prime minister the day after the school play or do they wait until the new year <laughs> uh, i mean i guess she was no longer an employee when they officially commenced their romance right she no longer worked there i also feel like he garnered a lot of goodwill after he stood up to the Bob. u.s president yeah but, Bob. Oh, i mean i can't believe we haven't talked about like worst or most cringeworthy scenes having billy bob try to play the president of the united states that was hilarious and be super creepy too to uh-huh. what's her face yeah but i think that's fair if we look back and look back at history yeah that might be actually the the best casting choice of the movie Although he, <laughs> it's a it's another one he's in two scenes and he just is a creep and then he gets dunked on and it's like who do we get for this oh oscar nominee billy bob thornton for seven lines of dialogue um last unanswerable question so in the original version of the script rowan atkinson's character was very explicitly the christmas angel there's sort of this implied supernatural karmic quality to him but it was very explicit that he was the christmas angel and he was a much bigger part of the movie and he's very clearly moving these couples towards each other in the original script. Mm-hmm. Um, is that version of this movie better? I think it probably is. I enjoy every single thing that Rowan Atkinson does in this movie. That's a hot take. Yeah. yeah. Because I think what, like, we've already, it's the movie's as cringe as it can be. And I think, like, that would be hard to take too seriously and I think it's implied in sort of a subtle way and you kind of catch on to that especially at the end where you know he um helps Sam out as well and you kind of realize that he's kind of been a player behind the scenes but I think any any exaggeration of that would just be too much to to stomach and take seriously as a viewer yeah I had no idea that he was that it was like implied that he was supposed to be the Christmas angel and I think it would have been way over the top to like make that more explicit yeah um I thought he more just like provided comedic relief mm-hmm. as like a Mr. Bean like character when he's like packaging up um the gift and just taking mm-hmm. forever um and I didn't even realize that he was like the guy waving him through at the airport um John why do you think that it would be a better version yeah because I think the things that maybe seem cringe or superficial, they become less cringe or superficial if we add an element of sort of magic or destiny is more explicit. And he is doing more to bring the couples together. And then it's like, ah, it's karma, it's destiny. They were meant to be together. And here's the Christmas angel working his magic in the background very subtly instead of just 
he subtly tries to keep Alan Rickman from cheating on his wife, and he subtly lets Sam through at the airport gate. Yeah. Uh, but it would, uh, I think it would have been better if there were, you know, a few dashes of Mr. Bean sort of making magic happen. And then we can sort of swallow the implausible things. Yeah. That's my case for, for more Bean. John, are you a big softy? Is that what I'm getting from this? I'm a big softy. I don't know what to tell you. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Loving this. I'm loving this for you. Major plot twist on the pod. (laughs) Love it. Um, I see that. No, I'm, I've always seen that. Yeah. Fair. So I called it unanswerable questions, but speaking of extended scenes, some of these sort of have answers because in 2017, there was a short film called Red Notice, actually, uh, or Red Note, actually. So Red Note is a holiday charity drive in England. And the Love Actually cast came together to do an addendum to the movie to show where the characters are in 2017. And no. they answer some of these questions for us in a 16-minute short film that was to raise oh. money for Red. I'm sorry, it's called Red Nose Day. It's called Red Nose Day Actually. So we didn't get an answer on Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman because Alan Rickman had passed away the previous year. Oh. Um, but Wait. we do have, yeah, go for it. Francesca, do you ever remember hearing about like, gosh, I've seen this, which is so sad. Like, where was I? And why was I not present when I was living in New York City? But there was a parody type show that came out and I saw with three friends of mine in New York City that I think, I don't remember if it was the same exact story of Love Actually or was more of like an addendum. But again, it was just like, a satire of, of the movie and how ridiculous a lot of the love and, and all of that was. Did you ever hear of this? And, or, and no, or um, I'm, sh- I I'm shocked. I haven't. It was, it was really funny from what I remember, but unfortunately I don't remember it too well. And now that I'm thinking back, I, I do think it was just the storyline and kind of taking a, a, a satirical approach to it, but it was, it was quite good. Interesting. Small. No, yeah. but do you think that some of the, the answers you have, like, have you accidentally seen this? Thing that John is talking about, Red Nose Day, actually. No, but now I have to go see it, just like you have to go watch that clip of Sam doing the gymnastics through the airport. But um, I think I'm going to have to watch that. For sure. Yeah. I'm really going to need to know what this whole like short clip is. I'm excited. I wonder, I don't know, I always feel like reunions and like after the fact, like kind of can sometimes ruin it or just not be as good. So I'm curious. Um, to experience if I think it's ruinous for the movie or not. So it's a long clip. It's it's like a 15 minute thing, but I'm just gonna give you the spoilers if that's all right. And people who wanna ro- watch it without spoilers, pause the podcast and watch Red Nose Day somewhere. It's probably on YouTube and then come back. But Sam and Joanna do live together in New York and they're about to get married. So that's Whoa. one spoiler. They made it. Okay. You guys were right, wow. they made it. Um, Hugh Grant is voted out of office as prime minister, <laughs> uh, but he marries Natalie and then comes back and gets reelected later. So he's prime minister again. Wow. So good, good ending for Hugh Grant. Okay. Oh, we, you put a note in the chat. That's the, del- oh, oh, that's the, sorry. That's, that's for Francesca. That's a deleted scene of Sam doing gymnastics at the airport. Ah, mm-hmm. um, Continue on. I want to hear about the rest of the characters. Do we have endings for all of them? I hope. Yeah. So Andrew Lincoln 
not supporting the pro Q card scene with, I think, my interpretation of his addendum. Andrew Lincoln marries Kate Moss, who is one of the women. So it, when he's doing the cue cards, there's the cue cards with text and there's a yeah, picture yeah. of like three hot girls that he cut out. Uh-huh. So she's one of them. And he's now married to Kate Moss. And he comes to Kira Knightley's house and does the cue card thing again to tell her that he's very happy with his new life. Ew, hate that. Hate it's it. not great. Absolutely okay. hate that, it. Bye. That's, that's a fail. That I don't I don't even want to hear the rest anymore because now I'm just like, oh I, you I'm you are um, it's not a good look for Andrew Lincoln to come back and repeat the cue cards so that you can dunk on the girl that you were crushing on that you shouldn't have been crushing on. Yeah, that's, that's not it. It's just like, tell me that you're not over someone by telling me that you're really over them, you know? Um, he, more kind of sad and strange addendum. So Joe, the manager, sad news, he has passed away. He had a heart attack. And Billy Mac has a new Christmas cover song to the tune of ZZ Top's Gimme All Your Lovin'. So I would that's just what like he's to, doing. I would like to point out for the for the listeners at home the like absolutely quizzical, confused looks on Chris and I's face in reaction to why they would give the manager a heart attack for literally no reason. They keep calling well, him fat. It's more fat. I, I, was, like, I was literally about to say, like, did, did the previous director and or like screenwriter have some part in, in this, you know, determination of how these characters fared? Because I think that's just so wrong. We got okay. one more. But this one is this one is happy. This one is good. So Aurelia tells Colin Firth that she is pregnant with child number four. Uh, but he doesn't speak Portuguese, as it turns out. So, <laughs> so she tells him in Portuguese, but he still doesn't speak Portuguese. So he thinks that she's telling him what's for dinner. Dead. Oh, Colin Firth. Hate that so much, but also lol. <laughs> wow. That one I can live with. Um, some very, very questionable and unfortunate choices made in Red Nose Day. But those are the addendums. The sort That's of it. Unif- the, the official canon addendums to the movie love actually uh but good for sam and joanna you made it yeah i'll give it to them um all right that's all i have on all my categories final thoughts additional thoughts about this movie that we love so much despite its flaws and maybe because of its flaws i'd say if you haven't seen it watch it i think it's a a really really good holiday movie up there with the best if you will um and again finding movies at the holidays is hard with your family this one will have something for everyone so if you want to not fight about that i would recommend this Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's my take yeah no i think no and i i completely agree i i definitely liked it i enjoyed it yesterday i think definitely something we talked about yesterday. It's, it's always interesting to look at films from different eras and kind of have a much more critical lens when you think about some of the things that are being talked about and the way they're being talked about. So I like that, that, that we sort of addressed that today. But as a whole, I think a lot of the, the more redeeming storylines that, that we mentioned definitely make it a, a worthwhile watch for, for anyone. And, and, and it is great with 
with, with family as well during the holidays. Totally agree. Incredibly rewatchable movie, incredibly culturally resonant even today. Mm -hmm. People will do parodies even today of the cue card scene and other scenes in this movie. Yeah. And, you know, the score is great. The acting is great. Some of your favorite stars just hamming it up on screen and enjoying themselves and, and making a fun Christmas movie, rom-com, musical, whatever this thing is that we love. Uh, but it's, it's definitely worth a watch if you guys listening have got some time over the over the Christmas break. Um, Christopher, Francesca, thank you so much for joining us. Lexi, thank you for joining us. You had to drop off early. We're going to play you out with a very popular scene. I don't want a lot for Christmas. Well done. Joanna, my girl. Quite as secret as we'd hoped. What do we do now? Smile. <laughs> <laughs> <Bow. laughs>